Yes. <laughs> Frankly, I did. But here he says, no, I tell you, but rather division. How's that for good news? He normally saves his firepower for the Pharisees, but here he is calling the crowds, you hypocrites, for their failure to see things clearly. At the very least, his outburst makes me wonder, how are we supposed to interpret our own family divisions, our own present time? In today's gospel reading, Jesus sounds frustrated, impatient, maybe even angry. Then again, it can be hard to read tone of voice in scripture sometimes. Personally, I hear sadness underneath all those exclamation points. While division may result whenever we choose to follow Jesus's way of love, I doubt that division was the goal. After all, we're not talking about division out there in the news or in social media. No, this division hits closer to home. I know it in my own life. I suspect that many of us cannot get through a holiday gathering of the extended family these days without our division somehow being revealed. And it's more than just disagreement over concepts. The dignity and equality of fellow children of God seems to be at stake. To be fair, even Jesus was not immune to the pain of family division. His own brothers didn't understand him. They thought he was crazy antagonizing the local leaders with his radical talk about open to all, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. They tried to restrain him at one point. They tried to make him be quiet. According to Luke's sequel, the book of Acts, Jesus' brother James at least got on board eventually. But as far as I can tell, they weren't on the same page for as long as Jesus was alive. So Jesus too knew how painful it can be to be alienated from family when not even shared history and a common faith seem like they're enough to hold us together. Isn't our faith supposed to spare us from that kind of pain? Not according to our reading from Hebrews. Sure, some of our heroes of the faith were visibly rewarded for their efforts, despite their obvious flaws. They were praised for their courage and remembered by name. But success was not the only outcome. Others were just as, if not more, faithful, and they suffered. They were misunderstood, rejected, mocked, even tortured. They didn't escape the sword, they were killed by it. Yet for all the ways that the world treated them as if they were worthless, turns out the world wasn't worthy of them. Our worth 
as children of God is not dependent on how we are treated by others or on how long our life lasts. The life of faith includes both victory and tragedy, success and failure, sorrow and joy, and not always in equal measure. We cannot measure the quality of anyone's faith or the value of their life by their circumstances. Okay, well then how do we measure human worth? It's not in any single moment. It's not even in a lifetime, it seems. Today's reading from Hebrews reminds us that we are all part of something so much bigger than us, bigger than any one generation or culture. And if those who came before us are somehow incomplete without us, so we are incomplete without them. The cloud of witnesses is somehow inside us. And we're in them. And the measure of our worth is the measure of God's love. Like it or not, we are bound to those who have come before us. We are part of the fulfillment of the promises that God made to them. In fact, we owe it to them to run the race that's set before us now, in part in gratitude for what they've made possible. We can even be part of the peace that they were promised. How? Well, by focusing on Jesus, fiery speech and all, and by letting his radical love for all people guide us, come what may. What does that look like, though, on the ground? Perhaps it starts by keeping our divisions in perspective and not letting them mean more than they do. When we promise in the baptismal covenant to uphold the dignity of every human being, that includes family. It doesn't mean that we can't get frustrated or impatient, or even angry sometimes. Nor do we have to deny our own dignity in the process. But it might mean that the measure we use against them might just be the one they use with us. We can be so observant of other people's perceived failures to love that we lose sight of our own. Or as Jesus put it earlier in Luke, perhaps we need to get the log out of our own eye before we start trying to take the speck out of anyone else's. I've also found it helpful with my loved ones, at least, to honor their feelings when these heated topics arise, even when I disagree vehemently with their conclusions. Usually our common humanity is somewhere in there amidst all of their hopes and fears. I also try to remember that we are all always more than just one thing, and that their very different experiences mean just as much as mine. And of course, the old test for any kind of speech still holds up. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind?
This one seems important, so I'm going to say it again. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? We could fault Jesus in today's gospel for not meeting this standard, but honestly, that might not be fair. After all, he is right to name the depth of our divisions and what they cost us. And calling us out on our hypocrisy when we have a chance to repent and try again, that's not just necessary. It's also ultimately kind. In the name of the one who will not let us settle for a cheap peace, when a more lasting peace is possible, Amen.